Welcome to 2024! Yes, indeed, and today we are talking not about resolutions, we're talking about being resolute, and yes, I'm wearing my gym clothes because. Now, 2024, when I was a wee little lad, thinking about the year 2024, I thought by now we would have flying cars, we would have like colonies on the moon. We would have like those super fast jets that could get you from Seattle to Tokyo in like 30 minutes. And instead, all we have is TikTok and Taylor Swift. But you know what? Those are cool too. So, not a moon base, cool nonetheless. Now, uh, now I'm looking forward to today's uh, topic and talk. It's something that's dear to my heart, and you'll see why in a little bit. But before we get into the topic at hand, there is a little bit of kind of housekeeping we need to do. Many of you know that back in October, uh, we launched a campaign to raise a pretty substantial chunk in a pretty small period of time. And so what the goal was, was $850,000 in eight weeks. That is a tight spiral. And uh, in that, there was like two tiers to it. So the first tier was just, as you know, we're building the hub down on Main Street. And we had some new kind of challenges. So we needed to bring an extra $550,000 to the project to complete it. So that was kind of part A. And then part B, or the second tier, was related to kind of just padding the, the budget in particular to the retention of staff and everything else so that we could get through 2024 with everybody intact. That was kind of the plan. So last week was really the end of that campaign. So technically it was going to end on the 31st. Pastor Scott was up here and shared with us that at that point, our total giving for the campaign was $444,000 and change. Now, Scott also shared that some people had asked if we could kind of go a couple extra days just because they were tying up some stuff. So we kind of let it bleed a little bit past that. Now, here's the thing you have to understand about me. I have some phrases that I love. And one of my phrases is facts are our friends. And we don't always have to like the facts, enjoy the facts, be warm and fuzzy about the facts, but we're always better off to just embrace the facts are what they are, and you deal with those facts as they come. And sometimes in those facts, there's bad news, and you just have to realize that you have to give some bad news on occasion. Now, what's great about today is I don't have to give bad news. In fact, they get to give great news. That is how much... Now, I went to public school. That's more than $850,000, all right? I know that, but you blew out the end on tier two completely, as well as tier one. Phenomenal, incredible. Talk about being resolute. You people are resolute all the way. And so I am so grateful, humbled uh, by your generosity, by your thoughtfulness. Uh, I mean, just honestly huge, because when we went into this, thought, man, is this going to even be doable? I didn't even, I, the, the worst thing in the world for me was to come up and be like, hey, here's another thing we need to raise money for. And, and yet you all stepped up in ways that are just phenomenal. And so what I'm going to have us do today, a little different, I'm going to get ready for our time together by praying, but this is a commemorative thing for me. Like, it's not just some small deal. Uh, there's been a number of giving campaigns over the years, and, and every time, you know, it's always kind of a challenge, and then, man, God just keeps showing up, and your generosity is just so rich. And so, if you can, I'm going to ask you to simply stand up with me right now as we pray. That is kind of a unique level of appreciation 
and uh, a type of humility before God where I just want us to all thank him for what he's done, thank him for what he's going to continue to do, and uh, thank him for all of you and your generosity in giving so tremendously to this project and this cause. And so let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I, I do. I, I, you know me. You know every time we go into these things that I've got that mat doubt always in the back, and then every time, it's like you keep trying to remind me that, hey, man, I got this. Uh, I've got you covered. I'm taking this whole, you know, kind of collection of people in faith, and I'm taking them to a place that I want to use them in great ways, and so we thank you. We thank you that you have put generosity in the heart of your people. We thank you that you provided through that generosity. We thank you that after years and years and years, we're coming right to the end of this whole thing. And so we stand in awe of you. We stand in a sense of recognition to you. We stand in praise for what you've done. And and I pray that, Jesus, we will not, not only not take this for granted, but not take for granted what it is you're calling us to do with this space, that it's a brand new toolbox to advance your kingdom to share your heart in faith, uh, to, to really see people reached for you, changed by you, so they can go be change agents in the world. And so, Jesus, we thank you for all these things and more, and I pray that you would even use today to teach us what it is you want to do with us, what we are to focus on, and how we are to live for you. So we thank you, we praise you, and we love you, Jesus, in your good and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Awesome. You may be seated. Thank you so much. And again, crazy just crazy you were here today to see that number and just like that's so awesome so anyway that is resolute and that's what i want to talk about today it's all about being resolute and i bring it up because it is the new year and normally with the new year it is resolutions now some of you know and some of you may not know but i am also a certified personal trainer at thrive fitness down here on main street And so uh, usually it's in this space that we trainers begin to see a whole lot of new faces, right? So it's like the first of the year, everybody's realizing, man, I've kind of gotten out of shape. I want to get more strength. I want to get more endurance, whatever it is. And so typically they go, I have a resolution. And so they're going to come into the gym and see us as trainers so they can kind of get back on track. Now, here's a funny one. I actually went in on Tuesday, so it was January 2nd, first official open day at the gym. I was interacting with one of the young men I work with at night. He goes, dude, guess what? And I go, what? And he goes, actually, today we had more people cancel memberships than sign up for them. (laughs) And I don't know if that's true or not, but it made me giggle inside. Because I go, that's the real earnest resolution, the one that's honest enough to say, you know, when you did this in 2023 and you spent all that money and you did nothing with it, in 2024, let's at least try to pay off our debts. So it was like, oh, that's so weird. But typically typically uh, a lot of people look at this time of year and they go this is my time to set some goals and so there's any number of things maybe i want to lose weight or i want to eat better i want to have a better work-life balance i want to save more and spend less and i want to floss three times a day and whatever the thing is right we all try to set these habits in place these goals that we want to establish for ourselves so we can move toward those things but then as christians we have some other added things So we may say, I want to, uh, you know, read the entire Bible in a year. Or I want to make sure that I'm making church a bigger priority. Or we're going to give more in 2024. We're going to make sure we serve more because we haven't been as service-oriented maybe as we want to be. So we kind of of pile up all these other ambitions as we go into the next 12 months of life. But, But see, here's the thing that I have worked through a lot, and it's been true even in my own life. I realize that there's a big difference between resolutions and being resolute. 
See, resolutions are just intentions. They're good wishes. They're wants in life. But if there's anything we know about intentions is that they are the pavers on the road to hell, right? That's really what they do. So it's not so much that we come up with intentions and resolutions, but rather we want to take those things and apply them. We want to begin the incremental steps of being resolute to get to those objectives. And for me, I think this is much more important. I think that's the stuff we want to realize that when we kind of go into these seasons, it's much more important, not so much that we come up with a plan, but rather that we are executing the plan that we've come up with. Because there is a difference. Resolution is about intention, but resolute is about determination. Resolutions are what we say, but being resolute is what we do. Resolutions are our dreams. But being resolute, that is our decision-making process. And so as I think about it, even in my own life, I realize I don't need more plans. I probably have enough plans in the backpack of life to write a book on all the plans. I just need to have the right programming to fulfill those plans. I need to put the plans into practice. And so that is the heart of today. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, well, this is all very Brene Brown of you right now, Matt. This is a lovely TED Talk on being resolute. How is that really, though, a biblical theme? And I would say it is profoundly a theme of the Bible. Now, to be clear, the word resolute in an English translation only comes up once in the Gospel of Luke. That's it, just one time. But where it comes up is pretty fascinating to me. So it's the scene where Jesus has been going about. He's been teaching, doing miracles, and everything else. But there's a clear pivot in the story. And the pivot is where he stops going to all these regions, and he just sets his gaze toward Jerusalem, right? It's like, I'm going there, because he knows in going there, he's going to challenge religion. Religion and Rome together are going to crucify him, and that's going to be the culmination of the story. So as he makes that change, that pivot, what it says there is that Jesus was resolute. Some versions say he set his face to Jerusalem. But it's this idea of raw determination— This is the series of steps and stages that he is going to engage in. That is his resolute spirit. Other times in the Bible, the word isn't resolute, but I think it's a different word. It is the word endurance. And maybe that gets to the core of what we're getting at today, right? That in the Christian life, one of the great expectations, one of the great commands that's placed upon us is to actually have real endurance in life. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, you see things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, awesome things, but it capstones with the idea of having self-control. That that is a part of what it means to live in the Spirit, and that is what is to be generated by a person as they live life in the Spirit. And that is then the Spirit of what it means to be resolute. It is the Spirit of true endurance in the power of Christ. And so that's what I want to impact for us today. And so if you are taking notes, we have notes in our app. There's blanks that you can fill in. All the verses are there as well. But I'm going to start with the first thing that I think is foundational to understanding what we're getting at today. It's number one in your notes. And that is that resolute is expected. It's not simply advised. It's expected. In fact, there's this interesting little section. If you go all the way to the end of your Bible, there is a piece of literature called the book of Revelation. And a lot of people look at that and they go, that's about the end of the world. That's about the end of time. That's about what I see in the news and all the craziness that will kind of culminate in the end. And they go, there's some of that in there, but I don't think that's the real core message of Revelation. I think much of what Revelation's about is encouraging Christians to endure no matter what is going on around you. 
And what's particularly cool about the book of Revelation, you may not realize this, but chapter 2 and chapter 3, those are actually the words of Jesus. In other words, uh, if you have a red-letter edition, uh, you're used to Jesus speaking in the Gospels, and you see those red letters. But then suddenly the red letters go away for a long time in the New Testament, but they come back up at the very end, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And John's just dictating what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is writing these seven different letters to seven different churches, and he's trying to encourage them. And of those churches, one of the churches is the church in Philadelphia. Now, at this point, you're probably a little perplexed. You're like, where the Liberty Bell is? Like where Rocky's from, and we get Philly cheesesteaks and the Eagles. And No, we're talking OG Philadelphia, right? Old Philly, back in the Middle East, right? That's where he writes this letter to. And he's encouraging them, and this is what he says. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So here you have this little idea here, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. Some versions say, because you have obeyed my command to patiently endure. See, so I see that right there, and it just reminds me that, again, this idea of being resolute isn't just, hey, it's awesome if you can do it, right? It's not just like, wouldn't that be just really fantastic if we could achieve it? It's like Jesus is looking at us and saying, that's what I expect of you. That's what I'm kind of putting on your shoulders a little bit, that you would face life in such a way that you would have endurance and endurance in a patient way. And I think that's part of the tough part. It's one thing if he just says endurance, but he says, endure patiently. It, it kind of connects an attitude with an action. And listen, I know that's hard. I know that's hard. Like sometimes you go, I'm enduring, but I'm not terribly patient. Right? So it's not just that you're supposed to do this, but there's a part of this too that he wants to do it in you. And we'll get into that more in a minute. But if you even look at the text there, he says, because you have done this and you have patient endurance, I will keep you. There's like a promise built into the expectation that he's in it with you as you are in it facing these things. In fact, it's really cool. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's this section in chapter 11 where Jesus talks about bearing burdens with us. And he says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You're going to find rest for your souls. But in that whole context, he also says, listen, as we're going through it, it's going to be together. So you're going to have some burdens, but I'm going to lift some of the burden off of you and put it on me, and we're going to do this together. So in that sense, when we think about this idea of being resolute and being uh, kind of driven in endurance, we realize that he is in that process with us. So it's not just that we have to be tough and strong and get her done, but in this, he wants to bring this through us. But it does take endurance, and endurance is the right word because of the second thing in your notes. Resolute is about embracing the hard, not simply doing the easy. In other words, if endurance and being resolute was easy, everybody would do it all the time, and it wouldn't be very challenging. But I think by design, it's hard. In fact, there's this little nugget in the book of Romans, and Romans is a letter that this dude Paul writes to a bunch of Christians that are in the heart of the Roman Empire. So they are in the toughest place to be a Christian. And he writes to them, and this is what he says in chapter 5. 
He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And you're like, yeah, right on, let's go. And then he says, but also realize that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. See, when I look at this, I realize that stuff that's easy is not the fertile soil of growing endurance. It's just not, right? Because if it was, if, you know, just then everything would be done perfectly, right? All of our resolutions would materialize because we go, this is all so easy. Endurance is super simple. It doesn't take a lot of work, right? We'd all be fit, out of debt, flossing every day, three times a day. Like, we'd have all of our stuff together, But see, Paul kind of gives us this structure. And he's saying, you know what? Really, you have to realize to get to the place of hope, you have to go through character. And to get through character, you have to get through endurance. To get through endurance, you have to get through suffering. It's a pattern. And so when we start into anything that is the hard, it's going to start off with suffering. We have to embrace that. If you start into something and there's no suffering at the beginning, it's probably something you've already conquered or it's so easy for you to do, it doesn't really matter. But if it's something that's going to be truly a challenge, it will start with suffering. So for example, let's say you decide you're going to get out of debt. The first steps of that are not easy. You're suddenly deciding we're not going to go out to meals like we used to. We're not going to take that trip we planned to. Uh, We're not going to go ahead and just buy on Amazon miscellaneously at one in the morning and then guess what? A bunch of boxes showed up, you know? And certainly Marlowe and... Amazon don't mix, you know, like, so there's all, you know, there's all kinds of things. So all the more, I'm going to have to make some hard decisions, right? Or you decide you're going to get healthy because you're like, I'm not eating good and I'm not exercising. It's going to start off hard. You're going to have to suffer. You just do. And then you have to endure in the suffering for a while. Let's say you're going to deal with a big vice in your life. That's going to be suffering. Let's say you realize that, you know what, you're just drinking too much. It's going to be tough to break that habit. Or you're just super judgmental. It's going to be tough to break that habit. You're prone to gossip, or you're prone to lie, or you struggle with pornography, or you pick the vice. When you start tackling the vice, it is hard. It is suffering. Because what you're doing when you do that is you're challenging these established norms in your life. You've settled into patterns, you've settled into ruts, you've settled into certain things, they're just there, and now to up in those and extract those and try to challenge those, they sometimes fight back. It could be hard. But it's in this space, we don't want to lose faith, we don't want to grow fatigued, we don't want to be overwhelmed by fear or laziness or pessimism. Don't let those things hold you back. Just remember the pattern. You have to go from suffering to enduring but then that builds character and that builds hope. And so, yeah, initially the challenge is, man, I need to become an overcomer. But then you start to overcome it. Eventually you can look back and say, now I'm an overcomer. I did it. I went through the process. I went through the suffering. I built the endurance. I saw the character forged. And from that, I have greater hope as I move forward. Not always simple, not always fun, not always pleasant, but it's always going to be rewarding. And the more you do that, the more you are resolute in that process, the more you are moving toward the things that establish those elements that really hold you strong for life. 
So I know this in my own life in a number of ways, but, but one of the ways was literally just my health. Right? So seven years ago, I was overweight, out of shape. I think I've been to the gym maybe twice in seven years. Right? And, and it was affecting everything. It was affecting my sleep and, and, and my family and my job. And all of it was a mess. And so finally one day, I just decided I'm sick of it. And so I'm going to just get healthy. And you know what? It was miserable at first. Absolutely miserable. If you've ever done it, you know. You like the foods you like, you don't get to like anymore, or you don't at least get to eat because you know they don't reward you. They punish you more than reward you. So you're changing your diet, and then you're going to the gym. And the first few weeks at the gym is just like hell on earth in every way. Your body's sore. You feel like you're a dork in comparison to everybody else because you're doing all these weird moves, and you don't even know if you're doing it right and everything else. But you know what? After a while, it goes from suffering to enduring. And then from endurance, it builds a sense of character. Like, now I kind of like this. I want to do this. I want to maintain this. And then pretty soon it becomes hopeful. Like, man, this is great all the time. I I I'm going to keep this rolling. See, that's kind of that idea of this resilience factor, this sense of being resolute. Now, to get a little practical, to get into the weeds of it a little bit, get granular and try to figure out how we do this, um, because pulling it off in the wild is tough. Like, what are things we need to do to really be resolute? I can pretty much capture it in one point. It's your third point. Resolute is about daily grit. Anybody read Angela Duckworth's book, Grit? Great book. Great book, right? And the attitude here is repeating bite-sized, wise, and resilient decisions. It's forging habits more than drafting hopes, or what I might even say are goals. All right, so I'm going to have to break our paradigm a little bit for a minute, because here's the thing. Um, I think typically in life, a lot of things are put in the context of goals, right? So you have a student that's getting ready to go to college. They sit down with their counselor, and what's the counselor ask? Well, what are your goals? Which I think is one of the craziest things to ask an 18-year-old. Really, what do you think you want to do with the next 45 years of your career life? I know at 18, everything. You know, it's a really wild thing. It's a lot of pressure on a kid. I sometimes feel bad for 18-year-olds that are posed with that question. But that's the question. What's your goals? Or maybe you are a hiring manager in your workplace. And that's often the question that gets asked of a new potential candidate. It's like, well, what are some of your goals? What's your career ambitions and aspirations? Where do you hope to be in the next 10 years? Me as a personal trainer. Right? Usually when we sit down with people, that's the first question we ask. Hey, welcome to the gym. We love that you're here. What are your goals? It's always there. Now, here's the thing. I want to be clear. I'm not anti-goal. It's going to sound like I am. That's not my thing. I'm not anti-goals. But I think there's some things about goals that we have to kind of keep in mind. I think most of the goals in life aren't quite goals. I think there's occasional goals. Like some of you, some of you may have a goal like, I, I want to like, climb Rainier. That's your life goal. Right? Or I'm going to do the Colorado River. That's a life goal, right? That's kind of like a one and done. But I think a lot of the things that we set up as resolutions aren't really goals because here's the deal. Let's say you say, my New Year's resolution is I want to lose 20 pounds. You know what happens when you get to 20 pounds? You have to maintain having lost that 20 pounds. In other words, you get to a waypoint, but now you have a new set of things that you have to do to keep that in place. So the goal never really disappears. It just gets managed differently. Right? And that's true to a lot of things. You want to break a vice in life. It's not like, hey, I broke my alcoholism. I don't have to do anything now. No, there's still a management component. So in that sense, goals aren't ever fully gone. They're always kind of present. 
The, the other thing I see sometimes about goals that I get a little nervous about is sometimes people set these big goals and then they start moving toward them, but if they're not getting to the goal fast enough, or if there's some kind of setback, it almost then hobbles them, and they just give up on the goal super fast. So they decide they're gonna lose 20 pounds in the next six months, and then after five days, they get on the scale and they realize, I gained a pound? I've been trying hard for five days, now I'm gonna lose 21? Give me my tub of ice cream, right? They just soothe themselves, right? Or we're gonna get out of debt. And then you're trying to, and you're saving, you're putting it against the credit card, but then the car breaks down, and you have to pay for the car with a credit card, and now you're depressed, and so you buy yourself a gift on Amazon to feel better. Because the goal didn't happen quick enough, or efficiently enough, or to your satisfaction. See, this is why I think every fitness, finance, life, or faith coach in the universe tend to say the same thing which is, it's not that you need goals as much as you need habits. You need habits. You need these things that are in place, a way of life is what they love to say, right? That can sustain you for the long haul. Because that's the only way you really get things done and keep things kind of uh, in place. And that's why I say there that we don't just need objectives, we need these things that we are doing every single day, bite-sized, wise, resilient decisions with grit. In fact, it was fun for me this week. I looked at the etymology of Resolute, because I'm just a, like an etymology nerd. It's my favorite website, Etymology Online. And it really went through a change, the word did, from the 15th to the 16th century. So it started in the 15th century and actually had the idea of being morally lax. This is where words sometimes take a dramatic change in a short amount of time. But the idea there was like, well, you're dissolving your character or whatever else, and so you're morally lax, you're resolute. It was negative. But then they kind of got more down into the weeds of the word, which had to do with breaking things into pieces. So then as you're going to the 16th century, it's a little bit more of that. And then later in the 16th century, they use that same idea, and like, well, if it's breaking it down into pieces, then it means kind of a more focused mind because you can do these incremental things effectively to get to ultimate desires. And so that was sort of the idea that we're better off in life to say, all right, I want to come up with a plan that is a series of steps, and I want to pick the best steps possible. And then I want to live out those steps as faithfully as I know how, knowing that the more I do that, I move toward a sustainable kind of tone in life and effectiveness in life. So by being resolute in the little things, I get to the big things. And I think that's the way that we all want to embrace whatever the thing is that we're hoping to see accomplished in our life, that it's more about how do I form a habit? How do I form these little pieces that I just keep playing out and living out and doing repeatedly to get to these places where I'm stable, I'm solid, and I'm strong? See, I think what this means kind of in this practical way is for some of us, it doesn't mean I need to overcome my addiction today. I need to lose all this weight today. I need to read my entire Bible today, right? Having these big grand ideas, I don't think it means that. I, I think it just means, you know what, uh, today I need to do that little thing that's going in the right direction. Just that little thing. Doesn't have to be huge. Doesn't have to be done in a week, right? Just start the steps. Because I think sometimes when we think about the things that we really want to accomplish in life or we feel God is calling us to do or God is calling us to tackle or God is calling us to overcome or God is calling us to invest in, whatever it is, we can feel like you're looking at the mountain 
And you're like, I got to get to the top of that? I'm never getting to the top of that. If you're looking at the, I'm never getting there. But if you just go, I'm just going to look at the trail. I'm just looking right here. And all I have to do is focus on the next step. That's all I got to do today. The next step. The next step. Right? That's what it means to be resolute. In fact, I love this uh, passage from Eugene Peterson. He wrote the message. And I love the way he put it in Psalm chapter 17. He says, I'm not trying to get my way in the world's way. I'm trying to get your way, your word's way. I'm staying on your trail. I'm putting one foot in front of the other, and I'm not giving up. I think that's so good right there. It's very simple. One foot in front of the other and not giving up. Right? Great math. So for all of these resolutions that we make, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. You know what? Just worry about reading one chapter today. That's it. Just read a chapter today. I'm going to overcome my alcoholism. Awesome. Let's just focus on sobriety today. Just today. That's perfect. I'm going to lose 30 pounds. You know what? Let's just worry about getting our 10,000 steps today. Right? It's those simple little things repeated over and over again that gets to the ultimate goals and desires and ambitions that you seek. And even Jesus knows this. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, he says to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and then take up your cross daily and follow me. See, I love this because he gets it. It's like what I'm reminded of is that Jesus seeks our all, but he doesn't seek our all just today. Or I better have it all figured out today. This is why the Bible has this idea called sanctification, right? We're not perfected in a day. We are brought on to this completion day after day after day as we continue to make wise, bite-sized decisions. It always just comes back to that same idea. And Jesus knew that. I think this is even why Jesus says, man, don't even worry about tomorrow. Just focus on today. I don't think Jesus worries about our tomorrow as much as he worries about us being what he wants us to be today. And he just pours his attention into us today. Today is the right day to focus on all these things. And then tomorrow, wash, rinse, and repeat. You do it again. Right? But that's how it works. It's like the old adage, how do you eat an elephant? To which my question is, why would you eat an elephant? <laughs> I've never had elephant. I don't plan on having an elephant. But if I did, it would be one bite at a time, right? And it's for the same attitude right here. We just give it our all today, and then tomorrow we do it again. Now, with this, like I said earlier, uh, Jesus doesn't ask us to white-knuckle this, just to bite down hard on the stick and get it done, right? That's not his heart. No, what we also want to understand is the fourth thing in your notes, being resolute rushes toward God's supernatural resolve. Going back to Revelation, right? When he tells the church of Philadelphia, because of your patient endurance, I will then guard you, protect you, carry you through, right? So he's wanting to make this investment as we invest. Well, we see something similar in the book of Colossians. So Paul is writing to this group of people that he's never met, maybe never did meet in his life, but knew of and writes a letter to. And so he says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You go, awesome. He's praying for them for this, but why? He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Awesome. But then he says this, being strengthened 
with all power according to his glorious might for what? For all endurance and patience with joy. So go back to Revelation. What did he say? Patient endurance. That's what we're called to. What we see here is that Paul was praying that they would be strengthened for that purpose. And it doesn't say that you would be strong in your patient endurance, but rather that you be strengthened by God's power for patient endurance. This is what I mean by rushing to us. Like, let me see if I can put it a little differently. Um, I think it's really easy with a talk like this to be like, now I've got to just be working harder in my own willpower. And I think what Paul's getting at here is, man, that's going to wear you out. What you want to be instead is pressing into Jesus and his strengthening comes into your life, gives you then the resolve, the wherewithal, the endurance, and the patience to then stick with these things. But it's his strength in you that's unleashed. That's the thing. So we want to be more about depending on him than just being duty-bound for him. We want to be more about seeking his provision Instead of saying, all right, I just got to buck up and pull up the bootstraps tight and get marching. Which is easy to do as human beings, but this is a reminder that we can't do it on our own. So why should we try to do it on our own? Especially since he has offered to be doing this in us. And I think in this, we also have to keep in mind that there are going to be some days that are hard, rough, challenging. But in this, if you are faithful, it will pay off. Therefore, number five in your notes, resolute is about faith-centered certainty. As you move in this direction, as Jesus has called you to do whatever he's called you to do, know that it's going to pay off ultimately. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I think that last little bit is important to the previous point. In the Lord is his power, his strength. His determination in your life as you are pressing into him. But as you do that, then you know what? Whatever you are doing, know that it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Now, here's the thing about this. That doesn't mean that it's always going to turn out exactly the way you anticipate. In other words, we make plans and God does things. But whatever happens as we move down this road and God is working in us, it won't be in vain even if it's not what we anticipate or expect. It may be exactly what we need, even though it's exactly what we were hoping wouldn't happen. But he goes, no, I wanted that in your life because it's going to do a new thing in you that's better than the other thing that you would have envisioned. And so all the more, we have to realize as we take this, this process on of suffering to endurance to character to hope, that you know what, no matter where it's going, it's exactly where it's meant to go if it's in and for the Lord. And so none of it's going to be in vain. And that's why I say it's not about resolutions, but rather it's always about being resolute. Now, with that little pep talk, I also want to make sure that I am very open with you. And in this, what I guess I'm saying is, in this whole process, um, it's not always going to go well. And in this process of trying to be resolute, we're not always going to do it perfectly. In fact, there's going to be many days, weeks, and seasons where we may not be resolute. And we let God down, we let others down, we let ourselves down. Therefore, I think it's important as we talk about this and try to own this and then kind of couple it to our humanity that is all too frail to remember that this whole process, this whole journey about being resolute, it's about progress, not perfection. That's the last point. 
It's about progress, not perfection. Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite works of the Bible, says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. We're all imperfect. We're all incomplete. If we don't have kind of crazy worldly sins, we have self-righteous religious sins. I mean, we're really good at our incompleteness. And so in this whole process, too, we want to realize that we're going to stumble. But even there, that's an opportunity to be resolute because the key is not, well, will you stumble? Yes, you'll stumble, but do you get back up and keep moving forward? And I think part of what that means also is not looking back at how you blew it and then crucifying yourself over and over again, but realizing one was crucified for you so you don't have to keep crucifying yourself for your dumb stuff. Amen, right? He does that for you so that you can get up, dust off in his grace and move forward. See, that's the real idea. Progress, not perfection. And I think when we do that, when we're faithful to that purpose, we remember what Paul said, then we're laboring in a way that's never in vain because it's always in the Lord. Now, with all of that said, here's what I thought about this week as, as I was putting this together and kind of thinking about it. Um, examples of those who are resolute, uh, I, I would like to say, you know what? You all are an example to me of being resolute. You absolutely are, right? I want to bring that number up again. Like, that is proof. That, that is a proof of being resolute, right? Matter of fact, here's the crazy thing. So this week for me is 16 years since I moved to Duval. So, yeah, oh, thank you for that. <laughs> 16 years, <laughs> confetti, all right. So, um, but, but in that time, I have watched repeatedly this community of faith take step after step after step when all the pressure was against it, things didn't seem possible, it wouldn't look like it would work out, and then every time you just kept taking step after step after step. You didn't look at the giant mountain that seemed impossible to summit, you just kept taking the next right step. And there's been so many different things, and it's amazing, every time we had like some financial challenge or we wanted to try to do a thing, and every time the goal was hit, every single time, hit or exceeded, without fail. There's never been a time that there was a goal that was set that wasn't hit or exceeded. That's grit, right? That is being resolute. It's fantastic, the energy in there. Do you realize that just in the last four years, your generosity has raised $5.5 million? We need some big church. I saw something about, people were telling me about something going on on Facebook. We're some big Richie church, apparently, according to some people on the message board. Yay! Um, and like, no, we're just kind of a medium-sized church in an adorable little town, and these people just have grit, man. They're just resolute. And not just that y'all raised 5.5 million, but on top of that, through those years, you also met a $700,000 operating budget. And not only that, we bought the building and the property, and that was 1.5 million. You paid all of that off. Do you realize? See, the reason I'm not trying to make it all about money, but I'm using this because Jesus says, hey, man, you're going to really know where your God is if you love money or you love me. Money is the real proof of our resolve in this world for Jesus because it's such a tempting agent to, to get off track and worship it more than we worship God. But you all have just been so committed. It's so amazing. And it's all moving toward this building here, right? Yeah, clap for that too, I love it. And guess what? 
not the goal. <laughs> Matt tackles goals again. All right, right? Because if that's what we think, we're going, okay, so the goal was raising this money. Nope, that's a waypoint. The goal is the building. Nope, that's a toolbox. What's the goal? People, right? Jesus intersecting in people's lives. That's why I say there aren't really goals. There's things to be maintained in a new way. This will not be a crossing of a finish line. It's going to be the start of a new race. But I think that's rad. And you know what that's going to take? Being resolute. It's going to take the day in, day out, denying ourselves, taking him across, following him. Right? But that's what it's all about. Because this whole thing is a wonderful opportunity to tell people about somebody that can change everything. And that's what we get to do. And so I want to remind us of our marching orders, how we are to be resolute, why we are to be resolute, what this facility is really all about. about it's really about all of you who are part of it, doing what you do for the kingdom. And I remind you of the mandate for all of us. Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And when you're on 203 Main Street, you cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds, that's where we must be resolute, let our good deeds be seen by all so that everyone can praise your heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the reminder of endurance, the reminder to be resolute, the reminder of every day to make the conscious decision to follow you, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, go after your mission for the world. And may we realize it doesn't have to be the great grand ambitions of we're going to reach a thousand people as individuals for Jesus. We just want to be faithful to the next person you call us to reach. We want to be faithful to the next prayer you ask us to utter. We want to be faithful to the next text that you ask us to read. We want to be faithful to the next whatever that you command us to. And so Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, we need you, we love you, and we seek you out in your good and perfect name. Amen.